Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from 9 to 5 Working 9 to 5 Welcome to America's Talk Radio Show about Dolly Parton Period. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM in HD, Northwestern Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, George Cedarquist. Joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Weston Williams. No, but seriously, we go inside the huddle tonight on Opera Box Score with tenor Zach Finkelstein about what the business side of being an opera singer is really like. Is it a bad April Fool's Day joke to think you could be a full-time musician? And then the results are in from last Sunday's Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions. Find out who the winners are. Plus, in the two-minute drill, you get our hot takes on everything you need to know from the past week in opera land. And, of course, you can call us on air. Get your voice heard. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Give us your hot take on the latest opera news stories. 847 847- 866-9687, or just tweet us at Opera Box Score. You can also post on our Facebook page. Got a great crew in Studio One and Studio Two here tonight at WNUR. Oliver Camacho, how the hell are you? Um, I'm great, and I'm so I feel really energized now that I heard Dolly Parton, and we are talking about <laughs> Dolly Parton all hour long <laughs> with Zach Finkelstein. <laughs> I hope you're ready, Zach. Is that what you were thinking, Tobias? I, you know what's weird about that song is that's not the first time it has come up in my life today. And so <laughs> I don't know what that means, but thank you, Dolly. It's destiny. Weston Williams saying it's destiny. It is destiny. You know what else is destiny? I have really good news. The adoption papers finally went through, and Philip Glass is now officially my father. Aww. Yeah. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Cool. No, that was just an April Fool's. I got <laughs> you. <laughs> oh, I was going to say your lullaby is going to be like, do 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 NCAAs, this has to be the most predictable bracket in recent memory. There have been so few upsets. Um, George... The tournament ended last weekend when the University of Kansas was eliminated. So I don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. I, I figured you'd say that. I spoke too soon. I was I was harassing you last week when you weren't here about their Jayhawks and of course the Wolverines went they out lost. in the following. You know, I did have them losing to Texas Tech. I don't want to brag. Nobody really cares about my bracket, but I did have Texas <laughs> oh, Tech in the final you, four. Congratulations. That's why I listened to the show because I watched him play a couple times this year and they just suffocated people. <laughs> I watch sports. Let's talk opera. Huddle <laughs> up. Let's go inside the huddle. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight on Opera Box Score. Zach Finkelstein is a Seattle-based tenor who has performed all over the world and intimately aware of the cost of being a professional singer. In honor of tax season, we've invited him onto the show to break down what it means to make a living as a classically trained musician and to find out just why that singer paycheck seems to dissolve so quickly. Zach, welcome to the show. Hey, all thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to crushing everyone's dreams. And I love the classic Dolly Parton dance. <laughs> we aim to please. Already my favorite guest. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to just give a little preamble here. Last week we talked uh, about the new form for class, the new new form for classical singers group, uh, which is a group you could find on Facebook. And it's not readily available to people who aren't singers on Facebook. To the plebeians of the world. Yeah. But uh, about a m- almost a month ago at this point, um, Zach put up a post uh, called The Scary Math Behind uh, Singer Fees. And uh, it was one of the most liked, commented on, and shared uh, posts I've ever seen 
uh, on the forum, aside from the rediction and <laughs> provisional <laughs> post. <laughs> um, but uh, in this, I mean, I'm going to let you talk about it, Zach, but just for those of you who uh, don't have the new form for classical singers, uh, you can now uh, read this post on a new website called middleclassartist.com. That's the, the, go to the World Wide Web, type into your computer, World Wide Web, um, middleclassartist.com. And I think it's like the second post uh, on that blog, which is by our guest, Zach Finkelstein. Here I am. So, walk you yeah, I mean, I love the, your, the way your points that come after the here are the key takeaways, but we probably need to get to that point. But I would love to, to eventually get to that. We have a good like 20 minutes with you. So we'd love to hear about what you have to say. Amazing. Well, I approach it from a concert singer perspective mostly. So I, you know, I did about 40 performances in the last year, kind of all over the place, mostly with symphony orchestras, uh, you know, chamber ensembles, new music ensembles, and choirs like Conferrari. Um, I don't do a ton of opera, so I thought I would use an opera uh, example since you can just read my blog. <laughs> um, so in the uh, in the blog post, I talk about my own fees and say, on average, you know, I make 2,000 performance, but I'll use an opera example. So uh, recently, a friend of mine uh, sang at an A-list uh, opera house, a small role. Um, I think she got about, I don't know, maybe let's say $10,000, which is great, you know, for five weeks' work, not a bad living, right? Um, but, uh, but here's the problem. Uh, the opera house doesn't pay for your housing. Mm. Um, and it's a pretty high cost of living city. I won't say which one. Um, so five weeks of short-term uh, rentals, if anyone's ever tried to travel anywhere for auditions, is not exactly cheap. So, you know, conservatively, let's say that costs uh, her $4,000. You know, she's still making a pretty good fee, 6000 bucks. Um, but, uh, but, you know, she has an agent who gets her work, which is great. Um, for me, my agent takes 20% for concert work, uh, unfortunately. But uh, for opera, they only take 10%. But still, you know, that's 1000 bucks. So she's down to half her fee now, $5,000. Um, and she's also a freelancer because, uh, you know, it's not a union gig. We singers um, who don't work in the chorus and non-symphony musicians uh, don't have a W-2. So we'll get a 1099 for an opera gig, which is a fancy word for, uh, you know, a lot of extra tax. Um, so, you know, it'll, it'll add, uh, let's say, 13% is about what you pay in self-employment. So that's another $1,300 off her fee. And uh, because, you know, I, uh, I have a calculator in my head, that's uh, $3,700 left on 10000 But wait, there's more. Um, then, you know, in that particular state, um, she pays about 10% in state tax fees because it's not where you live. It's where you make the money. So that's another $1,000 down. I think she's down to 2600 at this point. And then, uh, oh, she just got bumped up a federal tax bracket because she's so successful. Um, <laughs> so this gig, um, she pays 20% tax on that. So she is netting on a $10,000 gig about $1,600. And that's for five weeks' work. So she's basically making less than a barista at Starbucks, which is a very fine job, a very fine company. Um, but uh, I also haven't mentioned the hidden fees. Um, which are, you know, she has to actually learn a major opera role. And anyone who's learned an opera role before knows that it's just a huge amount of work. Um, just getting to a memorized stage where you're comfortable on stage, uh, not including all your training. Um, so let's say she has five coachings at, uh, you know, 800 bucks an hour uh, in New York. That's pretty reasonable. And so that gets her down to under 1000 bucks on $10,000. And, oh, wait, she also has to pay for food while she's there and rent on her apartment. So actually, on $10,000, she lost money. Mm. Well, you could steal toilet paper from the opera house. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, it's a common, common theme. Like, you've got to steal the toilet paper. <laughs> so that's, that's like a general example. I mean, maybe I exaggerated one or two things, but I don't, I mean, I didn't exaggerate the taxes. That's like literally what the bracket is um, or the agencies. But, you know, and so, so the name of the game is, how do you save money? Um, because you, you basically can't get your gross income any higher. Um, if you are a full-time opera singer, you know, someone who is working at five major houses a year is crushing it in the opera scene. Mm -hmm. um, and you probably had a couple of people on your pod who have worked at five major houses. And, you know, and in a main role, they still do a lot better. But someone who's just sort of in the early to middle stage, they just get crushed because um, they basically have to train all year. 
Um, and then they have, you know, they'll, they'll gross about 50000 but maybe they'll take home, I don't know, if they're lucky, 18 or 20 And they'll probably live in a very high cost of living city at the same time. So the whole point of this exercise is not to crush anyone's dreams, but it's to show that, okay, one, it's almost impossible to make it as a full-time professional singer performing. And the corollary of that is that you can either have something else, which pretty much everyone does. They just don't tell you about it. Um, and you also have to kind of keep your expenses down. So that's what I've been focusing on so far. So what kind of tips do you have to kind of keep those expenses down? Um, obviously, a lot of the stuff you mentioned is stuff that you're always going to have to pay, you know, the, the rent, the food. Uh, what do you cut to kind of make it work just for you personally? That's Weston Williams. I, my voice didn't change. So. <laughs> oh, hey, Weston. Hello. Well, for me personally, it's different. I mean, I'm in a bit of a different position. So I'm kind of in the middle of my career, making some decent money. I have another gig that does well. My wife has a job. We live in a house. I, we have a baby on the way. We're really excited about it. So, um, you know, very different field. I'm, I'm, you know, in the early stages, it's, it's really important to, um, you know, get your cost of living down immediately because uh, it just takes so long to build to where you're doing this full time. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first, my first point would just be where you live is just so important. And I used an example in my blog of, you know, this guy crushing it out in L.A. versus someone who's like a total failure in Minnesota living with her parents. And, like, just the fact that the cost of living is so much lower, she's actually kind of crushing it. So um, the, the, the first piece of advice I would say is, you know, you can't get your gross income up super high as a singer because there just aren't any gigs in your first year. I mean, you're just really struggling. Um, you know, maybe you'll get the $500 regional opera gig that pays you in Cheetos. But, um, <laughs> you know. So, so step one, uh, definitely getting the cost of living down. Um, and in terms of, like, specific, I'm actually, my next post is, is going to be all about this. Um, but uh, let's see. So definitely, I mean, my first suggestion is live with your parents. I know it's a terrible thing to say, guys, but, like, hashtag millennial. I mean, you know, y'all got to get that student debt down. Yeah, and um, cut back on that avocado toast. Yeah, I mean, that avocado toast. Expensive. So, I love avocado, so you do have. Um, <laughs> we're, we're we're sort of getting towards your key takeaways uh, for young singers, and uh, the first point uh, talks about you know working as a singer uh, in your city if it happens to have you know a symphony chorus or an opera chorus as being a really good mm-hmm. gig. Absolutely, yeah. So um, you know some choruses may audition only every two years and you might might take you like four or five years to get in but you know if you get lucky you you get in great that's you know a couple thousand bucks a month hopefully um and then it's really important to have like a symphony and uh and uh and an opera house or some kind of big kind of name brand institution in your city just as a tentpole um i mean one because they do hire local i mean i've i've worked with the seattle symphony um three like i think four times in the last year, including I have a gig in 2020 with them. So they, they do hire local. And, you know, all those things I said about uh, about traveling and, and, you know, sleeping on couches and stuff, I mean, it's really great to walk to work. And you don't have to pay any money to travel. Um, so, you know, the, the number one is definitely finding, like, a big opera house or symphony in your, uh, in your city. And I, I do notice that mistake a lot in young singers is they'll sort of They'll move to an area that doesn't quite have enough. It looks kind of on paper like, oh, yeah, there's, there's some stuff going on, but they don't quite do their research, and there just isn't enough. Even if they hit every single button in the city, they're still not going to get to a living wage. So that, that's, you know, that's really important. But also keep in mind that if you do have one of these symphony chorus or opera chorus gigs, um, it's hard to break out of that characterization of the chorus singer and sing for that in the same city as a soloist. Oh, I totally agree. It's, um, you know, I, I, I resisted singing chorus stuff for a long time. Um, I actually only started singing professional chorus this year hmm. um, with, with groups like Conferare because I, uh, I just discovered a, a really fascinating scene of, like, new music and chamber music through uh, chorales, like, throughout the U.S. It's, it's a total growth sub-industry. That's for another topic. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard to get out of the branding of a local singer. Um, and... A local singer gets paid, you know, one-tenth X of what someone they bring in. It's just, it's, it's totally is bananas. But, um, but yeah, that's a, that's a big challenge. 
It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern. Evanston, Chicago, we're hanging out with tenor Zach Finkelstein, crunching some numbers, talking about the depressing stats behind being a professional <laughs> opera singer as well. <laughs> Tobias Wright, over to you back again in Studio 2. So, Zach, um, thanks for being on the show. I have a couple questions. I'm a singer myself. Well, I say that. I'm in the I'm in the process of. Uh, You're a singer. Believe in yourself. Uh, well, I think I'm in the process of. Um, everyone's always uh, doing some self-assessment, and so that's where I am. But having been a young artist at several major companies in the United States, um, I kind of there was a few things that you said that really struck home with me. So. My first question is, I want you to talk a little bit about one of the points in your blog was if you're not saving at least 40% of your fee just for expenses and taxes, you're losing money on every gig. And I'm just kind of curious, how long did it take you before you realized that was the case? Um, <laughs> it, it took a couple of paychecks to realize that, oh, my agent's taking 20%. And uh, yeah, I guess pretty much, especially in the U.S., it's... Uh, you know, you just can't escape the self-employment tax. I mean, it's just, it takes it takes on your gross income. Not to get too much into the details, but you, you just can't, like, deduct away from it. So basically my first taxes, I was like, whoa, <laughs> I thought I made a lot more money than that. What happened? Um, and I also worked in business before this, so I, I have a fairly decent, you know, understanding of numbers and budgets. Um, and I thought, you know, my first year that I, that I did budget pretty well, but, uh, you know, it was a rude awakening in, at that time. But... Um, it, it's definitely it's definitely a big problem when you just see the sticker price of the fee, as I was saying. Um, and there's no standardized, you know, unionized stamp that says this fee includes, you know, um, all transportation to airports and flights and hotels and food, you know, 50 bucks a day. Like, it's totally their choice. And they kind of get away with saying, oh, well, I have a fee that's, that's you know, X amount, and that's, that's pretty good. But... Um, but yeah, it definitely doesn't reflect the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it, it took me it took me about a year to figure out that like, whoa, this is not what I expected. I did a really bad pay to sing. I just I made a ton of mistakes. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, pay to sing is a whole other thing. I'm definitely gonna cover that. Um, but yeah, and, and young artists programs is a, is a whole other thing. I mean, you can basically get caught in this runaround after university where, you know, they say, okay, go to undergrad, go to your master's, do like three young artist programs, you know, move uproot your whole life for a year, maybe two, maybe three, you'll find out for like, you know, 20 grand a year. Um, and, you know, if you have a whole life, like a family or, or a partner, I mean, it's really hard. So um, I definitely want people to think that there are other options out there than exactly what is prescribed uh, in university. Was that kind of the impetus of writing this? It was to not necessarily uh, say the singing industry is bad, you should never pursue it, but just kind of give people an idea and then do you, are you trying to give people hope, or do you think the market's too saturated yeah. and nobody should really <laughs> no, do this? <laughs> I'm totally trying. I basically, on my like first logic point, it just took like 10,000 words. The second point is that, like, um, you know, it's, it's just, it's not binary. It's not, you know, every, right. you know, I, I, I talked to a young singer, and he's like, I don't know what I should do. And I said, well, you're in a tough spot, but, you know, here's some things. He's like, ah, oh, you're right, I should quit. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, no, that wasn't the point. Um, the point is that it's not binary, and like yeah. everyone's like, oh, that's you know, so and so is a total failure, and it's like, oh, did you see him? Like he's doing temp work now. I saw him working for Uber or something. It's like, yeah, everyone's working for Uber. Um, like, I'm, it's just it's just <laughs> trying to get like an honest baseline for everyone. Be like that guy who thinks he's all that. Like, I, and not in like a jealous way. Like, I have I'm doing great. Like, I don't have to you know talk SHIP about other people. Like, I'm just saying that you know we build up these people in our heads, mm -hmm. and in reality, it's very different. And so my second point was, like, you know, if you plan ahead, if you start really young, like, you know, instead of doing a $5,000 band camp in Italy to, you know, smell the roses and do, you know, the third cast of Marcellina or something, maybe you get a summer <laughs> internship. Um, maybe, you know, try working in a law firm, see what that's like, or, or, you know, try working in a business. Or I mean, there are so many valuable skills that singers don't have that you can get from, you know, a couple summer internships somewhere. Like how to craft an email, how to react in, in public, how to public speak, how to talk to someone in a meeting, you know, how not to sound like a millennial in your emails, uh, <laughs> you know, no emojis. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, I'm, I'm trying not to be pessimistic, but the first point by definition is pessimistic because everyone kind of lives on like this fantasy. So, 
I love this point you make about uh, it has to do with the Young Artist Program correlate, correlation about um, you need 30 to 60 professional contacts. Uh, and you talk about that you need uh, to, you know, really hit those contacts for years. And if you're in a Young Artist Program, you're losing those opportunities to develop those contacts. And they might, you know, and the people who might be able to offer you work will just find the next cheap singer to come along and do it. Can you elaborate a little bit on how you thought about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought of, I mean, it was it was sort of by necessity for me. So I started quite late. Um, I was working in uh, in politics and economics, and, and I, I went back to school in my mid twenties. And at that point, my wife, uh, you know, and partner uh, for at that point like eight years now, fourteen. Um, she was well entrenched in a wonderful career in, in Toronto, Canada. I was in Toronto. I'm not going to uproot our lives. I mean, like she's made more money than I am at that point. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what are my options? So I went to school locally. And then, you know, I looked at the I looked at the things that are like, you know, moved to the city for a year or two, and I was like, eh, I don't know, like, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then I saw a lot of those people just kind of bouncing around, you know, like they'll do like six of them, and they'll be like, and then it'll just kind of be like, okay, well, now what? You know, you moved to like four cities, um, you develop some contacts, but then you move, so they can't hire you. And as I as you said, like, then the next crop is always coming up. So. Um, it's definitely, at least in the concert world, it's really relationship-based. So there's just something so rich about working with someone who knows you and knows you're going to show up on time and be a great colleague and be great to go for beer with. Um, and that's just like a really important thing. And constantly jumping at every possible opportunity, I think, is very counterproductive. Zach, we got to step aside for a short break. Do you have a few more minutes to stick around with us? Absolutely, man. Fantastic. Great. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern Evanston, Chicago. We're going to step aside. Be right back with tenor Zach Finkelstein. Check it out. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. from Zach Finkelstein's website. That was the recit for Wafter Angels from Handel's Jephtha. So uh, as a follow-up to your non, um, your, to your blog post on um, the new form for classical singing, you decided to start a blog, Middle Class Artist, and your newest um, article or post just came out a couple days ago, uh, Year One, Getting to a Living Wage as a Classical Singer. Mm-hmm. Any uh, bits you want to share from that? Uh, before we have to wrap up our interview? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I basically went through, um, you know, the major opportunities that a young singer can get in a city, in a you know, mid-size or big city. So, you know, as we were talking about, a nationally recognized opera house, a symphony, a regional house, a regional orchestra, local opera house, local chamber orchestra, professional choirs, church choirs, recitals, and then, you know, all kinds of other stuff uh, as well. And, uh, and I, I kind of did a breakdown of what a typical... Uh, fee structure for that would look like. Um, and then I gave like two kind of interesting case studies. The first is this guy Dave in LA who is totally crushing it. 
And I went through his income, and it's like, actually, he just lost like $800 on the Young Artist Program because it didn't mm. cover his rent. Um, and then talking about, uh, as I was saying earlier, you know, this, this woman in Minneapolis who feels like she's failing, but she's actually, you know, she's doing quite well. She's got a small role. She's done some work with the local symphony, and she's kind of like building her career out. So I was trying to give an example of um, – of what it, what it can be like to grow out locally and regionally um, and still kind of keep a natural profile, but also have uh, a job that's kind of keeping you tethered uh, to, to, to your, you know, singer sanity um, versus just going all out and pursuing every possible opportunity and flying to Sweden for a competition, you know, just like doing all these crazy things um, because no one's really giving you a clear direction and, uh, and just kind of going through the cost of that. Um, so, yeah, and, and the takeaways um, – you know, I was just talking about how uh, being a singer doesn't have anything to do with what conservator you went to or how many competitions you win. It's it's all about your ability just to survive. And I, that sounds like a real loaded, drastic word, but it really is about survival. I mean, you're just trying to outlast other people. Uh, there's <laughs> um, so many and- there's so many tangents we can go off on that. But I just want to say that. Um, there are people in Chicago that I know. There's this uh, bass baritone named Dave Gubertson who did the um, Ryan Opera Center program here in Chicago, and he stayed in Chicago. He's a you know he's a father now and he's married to a singer, and he does all the gigs. Like you know he sings <laughs> with all of the storefront opera companies. He sings with the middle size opera companies. He still gets gigs with Lyric Opera. He sings in Chicago Symphony Chorus every now and then. He covers a role. Uh, and then he gets cast, and he gets put up on stage. And so, I mean, he's just doing it, and he's working so hard. But, um, you know, he's figured out a formula where he can, like, raise his family and stay in Chicago. And I think, you know, the only drawback for him is that he's at a level where he could really sing in many different cities, but he's doing all mm-hmm. this work in Chicago so that he could have some stability and so he could obviously, you know, father his, his son, you know. And that- Absolutely. And there's people that would say that he's a failure. And they are wrong <laughs> yeah. because it's, you know, in order to make a full-time living for him, he would have to travel 300 days a year, um, you know, because opera is, the schedule is just crushing. Um, you know, they do five, six, eight weeks rehearsals, um, you know, two, three weeks of shows. Like, it's just, you're gone for so long. And especially if he has a young kid, um, you know, if you don't have to travel and you can make a living in your city, and, and Chicago's a great city. I mean, it's, I mean, he's obviously killing it. So there is um, an interview that we're going to post the full version of, of Yeston Davies, and we're looking for somebody out there in Upper Box Goreland to underwrite uh, our special Yeston Davies episode. (laughs) Um, But anyway, Yeston Davies, in the full version of our interview, uh, talks about diversifying and, you know, having your regular Messiah gigs and St. Matthew Passion gigs and doing new opera and doing concert work and doing small recitals and doing these big operas and these new commissions. And you have to like time those things, like always keep your December free, always keep your Holy Week era. I mean, um, time free because you know, you're going to get those Bach gigs and those handle gigs. And if you're, if you're taking opera gigs in December, then people won't see you one year and you're going to be like, you know, in rehearsals at the Met or whatever, when you should have been singing a Messiah. And then the next year comes around and they forgot that you sing Messiah and they're now casting the next countertenor to sing that Messiah. So yeah. he talks that's, about... That's exactly right. Yeah. And then I, I also want to say, just because it's been a little bit bleak, um, <laughs> that we have to talk about that the market is... I'm sure you're going to get to this on your blog at some point, that the market is saturated right now. And maybe we can investigate you know, why it's saturated, but there are too many programs and there are too many people studying how to sing. And there are too many people like that have this dream. And I think we need some reality out there in the world <laughs> like this. No, really. So that it really, it, we need to put a, a pop this bubble. It's like the housing bubble, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just too much, you know, oh, I'll be, I'll be your Simon Cowell. Uh, <laughs> I, I did, uh, I, I did have a chat with, uh, recently with, uh, you know, a, a big figure in, in vocal faculty in a major university in, in America. And, you know, this is a guy who came up the ranks 30 years ago and just totally crushed the opera houses. And, you know, he said back then, if you went to the right school, you know, if you went to Juilliard or Curtis and you were at a certain level, you had a career. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it was. Um, you know, so we're basically, we're basically training kids on this model where it, it's the same as if uh, we had suggested – oh, you know what you should do is get a high school degree, 
go work at Ford for 40 years and then just retire and you'll be fine. And you're like, well, no, that's not how it is anymore. So we're, we have these people training our singers. You know, they're, they're, they're doing a wonderful job of training their voices, probably too wonderful because there's too many good singers. But, um, you know, they're not covering these issues. And he even said to me, he's like, I don't know what to tell my students. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to I don't know how they're going to succeed. It just doesn't know. And this is like a major voice faculty. So, um, you know, we I think the first step is just recognizing there's a problem and sort of like getting our heads out of the sand and being like, we can't just, you know, tell kids they're great singers and, you know, send them along their way because it's a necessary but not sufficient condition of a music career. Yeah. Zach Finkelstein is a tenor based in Seattle. You can check out his stuff at ZachFinkelstein.com and also MiddleClassArtist.com. Links to those websites on our website, and before you say goodbye, Before you say goodbye, um, tell us about your CD in 30 seconds. I will, 30 seconds. All right, well, <laughs> if you like Benjamin Britain, you will love this album. It's um, yours, it's, George. Uh, the, <laughs> it's the Complete Canticles. Um, I recorded it with members of the Seattle Symphony, my dear friend Byron Schenkman, who's a wonderful pianist, and uh, some great Canadian singers. So uh, you can get that on Apple uh, iTunes or Spotify or Amazon or my website. We'll put a link on our website. So that's where everybody will buy it, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) We're the next Amazon. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks a ton, Zach, for hanging out with us. All the best. It was great talking to you all. Thank you. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's what you're listening to. It's on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD, Northwestern Evanston, Chicago. Number in the studio, 847-866-9687. Give us a call. Let us know what you're thinking about the economics of singing. Let us know what you're going to think about Two Minute Drill, which is coming up in about 10 minutes. Before we do that, we want to update on the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions, which were yesterday. Yes, so the grand finals concert uh, was conducted by Carlo Rizzi and hosted by Anthony Roth Costanzo. First half of the concert slash finals uh, began with soprano Megan Cassander singing Dich Teure Halle, Big Girl. Then tenor Dashuai Chen uh, singing the finale of Luci de Lamamore, the tenor finale. Uh, then our special guest, Elena Villalon, uh, the youngest, I think, competing, mm. sang O Quante Volte from Bellini's uh, Romeo and Juliet. Tenor Miles McCannon sang Lenski Zaria from Eugene Onegin. Mezzo-soprano Michaela Volz uh, sang an aria from Orfeo and Eurydice, not the Che Faro Senza Eurydice. And then tenor uh, Piotr Buszewski uh, sang a Donizetti aria, a rare one, a French one, Seul sur la Terre. Then we had an American aria, Captain Ahab, from uh, I Must Speak With You, from Moby Dick. Mm. Uh, Thomas Glass, baritone. Uh, Elisha Fox, soprano, sang Orsai Kilonore from Don Giovanni. And the last aria of the first half was bass William Guanbo Su. Uh, singing Sorgi and Fausta from Handel's Orlando. It's a great first half lineup there. Mm-hmm. I'm super proud. Uh, Tommy Glass, guy I've worked with uh, once in the past, a fabulous, lovely guy. And how great that he was the only guy singing in English on the first half of that program. What a great choice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Destroyer Halle is definitely a way to start a concert. That like is that. one <laughs> hell of a way to start <laughs> the Met Finals. Yeah. She's, um, for, I, she's from Darien. She's from the North uh, uh, West Burbs of Chicago. I was, uh, I was surprised that uh, Elena Villalon switched her aria to O Quante Volte because when she competed in Chicago, she sang the Rossini uh, Partiro. I mean, um, was that the Rossini that like the chopped and split? Yeah, yeah. The Contori aria. Why, yeah. why do you think she switched? Maybe she got the advice to do it. Maybe she was. <laughs> I don't know. I actually, I wish she, she would call us. From to tell you, us. Oliver. So, <laughs> After the intermission, Elena Elena came back out and sang uh, Sophie's uh, presentation of the rose. Miles came back out and sang Je Quas Entendre, which is one of the hardest things. I know. In I the saw world. that he did that, and I was like, "But he already had the. He was warmed up, yeah. so uh, it met, just sits so high, and it's relentless. And it's there's like, only seriously like mm, two tenors I ever enjoy. Yeah, Matthew Ponzani. Was and he one like, of the, yeah. Okay, so Alfredo three. Krauss. Yeah, because yeah. Alfredo Krauss was like. I would like to sing Yakra. <laughs> Meg- That's Megan- what he sounds like. <laughs> Megan Cassanders came back out and sang uh, the aria from Queen of Spades. I guess that's Lisa's aria. 
the tenor De Shuai Chen sang, sang Salut from Faust. Michaela Waltz sang Cuffet Tu from Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Piotr Buczewski sang uh, an aria from an opera I don't know, The Haunted Manor by Munieszko. I guess it's Polish. Well, yeah, it sounds like uh, Peter's also Polish, so maybe he was yeah, repping his home uh, then country. We already have one Piotr, though, so it's like... Sorry, William no. Guanbosu sang the bass aria for competitions, the Viva Viso from Sonambula. Elisha Fox came out and sang uh, an aria from Korngold's Das Wunder der Heliana. Oh, I love that one. You do? I've never heard it. It's so good. And then Thomas Glass, your boy, sang A Bondiquite from Faust. And while the judges were tabulating, uh, Christian Van Horn, uh, who is a Richard Tucker Award winner, sang Ella Jemima Mo from Don Carlo. Now, there's really nothing like this in director land. This is really unique to singers and obviously to the Met. Let me just say, when I look at this repertoire list, when I look at the bios of these contestants, I get cold sweats. Like, I'm so nervous <laughs> for them. It feels like the stakes are just absolutely through the roof. Toby, talk to me here. Is, is, <laughs> is, it, is this, am I out of line, or is it crazy just how big a deal this is? Well, you know, for me, I think the biggest thing um, is that they are all so young and so early in their careers. Now, these are all people who are obviously experiencing success, but um, you're totally right. The stakes could not be higher. Mm. And I think the difference is that, you know, you could have an audition for the Met or you could have an audition for, I, I it doesn't really matter, any house that's comparable, L.A., Houston, whatever, but that's private. And the outcome is yours and yours alone. And in a situation like this, it's not just an audition. It is a concert showcasing uh, who the Metropolitan Opera believes they've identified as some of the best young singers in the world. So, yeah, it's tremendously difficult to do that under pressure. And so you look at some of their choices, and I actually think it's, I mean, it's super admirable. And we talk about the tenor singing from Pearl Fishers. The control and the calm you have to have and the security in your technique, that's what separates the people who are winning these types of contests versus the people who don't get past the regionals, mm -hmm. truly. Um, it's people who have an understanding in their technique and a belief in their ability. Um, and you have to be a little bit insane to want to go do it on this kind of a stage. <laughs> and that's what makes it really yeah. cool. And your your first review from the New York Times might be when you're 21 years yeah. old. You know? Yeah, oh. Elena uh, Villalon, I wonder if she's one of the youngest winners. I mean, could you be under 21? I mean, you, you can't be much younger than that and have a voice that can do what's necessary to fill a house. So you let's know. say who are the five uh, winners were. I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. so silly that there's, what, nine finalists and. Four of them don't get to go. Yeah, I, well, I mean, yeah. they still all win money. Everybody's, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, yeah just dude, get that there, money. There's winners. And they there's still winners. all win money. But let's talk about year one and how to get a living wage <laughs> as a classic. <laughs> so Thomas Glass. But seriously. Uh, Miles McCannon. Uh, William Guanbusu, Guanbosu, uh, Elena Villalon, Villalon, our pick, Villalon. and Michaela Waltz uh, were the declared winners, which it, left. You really did call it about. Elena v uh, it's true, he Yalon, did. Because you said when you heard her, you're like, that's just a voice that can do it. That can well, do anything. I mean, that's what exactly what it is. Like, she is one of those singers that the Met will say, we can do something with this. Like, mm. she has the technique. Yeah. She's, she's, she's beautiful, willing to take too, a risk. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I say that? She's beautiful. Hashtag yeah, no, she's, she's beautiful. And, like, that's what they want. They want, like, that raw talent that is, you know, she's great on stage and the voice just goes on for days and it's just like, we can work with this. You know, there yeah. was no technical problems, and she was so ballsy in her repertoire. Three choice. of those five winners have a connection to the Houston Grand Opera Studio. Oliver, how surprised were you <laughs> to see that stat line? For those who've been listening to my various projects over the years, you know that this has been a conversation that we've had on opera now I mean, I'm not taking away anything from any of these people. I know how hard it is to get up to do what they did. But it's a little bit fishy that, um, you know, one of the judges also, um, you know, is somebody who's directly affiliated with Houston Grand Opera Studio. Hmm. So, um, yeah, three of these artists uh, either will be going to the studio this summer or are maybe going to be their second year. Um, so we don't have to talk about that anymore. But that, that's, there's something there, you know. Yeah, I, well, I mean, opera is also kind of like an in pretty s small community when you kind of cut and dry it. So I, th there, I think there's a certain 
point where it's like, well, there's obviously going to be some crossover. There's going to be some conflict of interest. Uh, and maybe, maybe I mean, you look at it from a sports angle, and what I think you can see here from HGO is that they obviously have the correct scouting department and are able to identify talent mm, before mm. talent identifies itself. And I think that that's a huge um, aspect of having a fantastic young artist program. And ultimately, I mean, we look at these as the minor league ranks, right? And I mean, yeah, you got to be able to identify talent, and perhaps that's what it is. So I, that's me being. Pathologically last, optimistic. <laughs> last year, uh, Mario Rojas, who is a Mexican tenor who competed in the he's central... In the, he's in the Ryan Center. He's in the Ryan Center right now, but he competed in the central region last year. He didn't advance to the the the, the uh, national semifinals, mm-hmm. um, which to me was shocking that he didn't. Like, he's going to be... A, he is going to be a major star. Yeah. But he got passed over by the Met. So... Hmm. I, I, I... This is my own personal... I hate competitions mm-hmm. um, because of that. Because uh, competitions specifically where you get feedback, it's so objective and inconsistent that I'm like, it really is about who you know. So it does kind of bother me. And that's like, also, I didn't ever think I was good enough to win any kind of met competition, <laughs> so I didn't do it. But well, so yeah, it's like, one of those things where you're like, it really, there are a lot of politics at play. What we need is a truly objective judge on that panel, and that objective judge will be Oliver Camacho. <laughs> I'm nominating you He'll right do now. It. I'll just say that like the, the Met is like the biggest brand competition that, that there is. But True. just because somebody is good at that competition doesn't mean that they're ready for a career. And just because hobby. somebody, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just because somebody like Mario Rojas doesn't advance is not... I mean, he's not going to have Indicative a of what he's capable yeah. of either. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. I mean, not everybody's voice is big enough to sing at the Met. How do you think Alfredo Krauss would have done? <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably exaggerating that a little bit, but... Not by much. <laughs> I can't even read the next Deezer man. <laughs> Cracking me up so much. Oh, there's drama in Brexit, and now it's come to opera land in the Royal Albert Hall. That's next on America's Talk Radio Show about opera, WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern, Evanston, Chicago. <laughs> Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill. Plus, our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. This just in, the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know that happened in Opera Land over the past week. The drama continues with James Levine. Last week, a New York State Supreme Court judge dismissed all but one of the claims laid out in the disgraced conductor's defamation suit against the Met and Peter Gelb. 150 years ago, the final railroad spike was driven into the ground of the Transcontinental Railroad connecting the eastern and western parts of the U.S. for the first time. In celebration of the fact, Utah Opera and the Utah Symphony have announced a series of concerts and new works celebrating the event, which includes four new mini-operas. British soprano Anna Patalong was asked to change her European Union-inspired dress for a concert at the Royal Albert Hall last week as issues concerning Brexit continue to crop up in the UK. Patalong's yellow and blue dress was a form of protest. The singer explained, quote, Free movement between countries in the EU is essential for us to carry out our jobs. Chicago Opera Theatre has announced a massive staffing change across the board in various key positions. 
It's an especially radical change, considering that most of the staff now appear to be dogs and cats. It's a huge step forward for a company that prides itself on diversity and inclusions. Highlights include a pug, the company's new associate director of belly rubs and tennis ball engagement, and a guinea pig in charge of the front of house. That's front of house. It's possible this radical staffing may return to normal on April 2nd. And on this day, April 1st, Weston's favorite underrated composer, Ferruccio Busoni, was born in 1866. Composer Sergei Rachmaninoff was also born today in 1873. Amelia Goes to the Ball by Giancarlo Manotti premiered in Philadelphia in 1937. And Aaron Copeland's opera, The Tenderland, had its premiere in 1954. That's your two-minute drill. You're listening to Opera Box School with George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Oliver the Man Camacho. Uh, so far, so good here on Opera Box Score. It's been a great show. We've got a great crowd in Studios 1 and 2. Oliver Camacho, Tobias yes. Wright, oh. and Weston Williams. Yes, I'm here too. <laughs> so, Weston... Um, what is tickling your fancy I, I mean, this week? I mean, I think the big news, of course, is, of course, this big staffing change at the Chicago Opera Theater. I think this might be the first opera company in the U.S. to be staffed on the administrative <laughs> level completely by dogs, cats, guinea pigs, and I believe there was a hamster or something as well. They really don't discriminate, do they, yeah, over there? My big question when I was reading this story was, like, how are we going to rate this on the Dodson scale if they extend this out to the casting, you know? Because we don't have point values for non-human species, and maybe that's a, a problem with the Dodson and scale. And how are we going to communicate with them knowing that they don't have opposable thumbs? <laughs> I just don't know how organize, organized dogs are, you know? So when this 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 is basically just kind of obviously an April Fool's little prank that they pulled. It's on what? their website. Huh? Uh, if it, <laughs> I think it's probably going to be archived, so hopefully it'll still be accessible once this podcast goes up. But it's pretty cute. It's all of the uh, pets of the various um, uh, uh, big head honchos over at Chicago Opera Theater, and it's it's pretty adorable. You should check it out while you still can on this April Fool's Day. And that was that was the big one for me. But uh, on probably a more serious note. Um, Brexit? I'm so glad we went to Brexit and not to sexual assault. (laughs) (laughs) So, speaking of Brexit. (laughs) Yes, Tobias. George. I don't get it. (laughs) I've tried so hard. And you know, know, I I really enjoy politics. I'm a history buff. I, but the Brexit situation, and I have a friend from, a very close friend from London. I was like, really please explain this to me like I'm a five-year-old because it has become such a mess that I don't really understand what's happening anymore. Well, it is it is a total mess, and it's it's been a mess from the beginning, and it's a mess now. My mother's English, so I, I lived in England for many years. And Drink. So this is very Drink. personal to me. Um, but I was, I was in London over Christmas, and uh, you're supposed to... Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and um, talking to people, I would say, look, so the, the UK is leaving the EU in in three months, you know, December to, to March. That was the three months. And mm-hmm. I said, what's, what's the plan? And everybody would look at me and say, we have no idea. There is no plan, George. There is no plan. There, I mean, apparently, there really is no plan. There really is no plan, except for Anna Padalong cracking out the, the blue <laughs> dress with yellow stars for the... So, e- so here's what happened. She had been attending uh, a protest earlier in the day, and she had um, her dress, uh, the yellow with the sort of the blue uh, and, uh, and the star motif, like the EU flag, obviously. Um, and, uh, and she was going to, to wear that at the concert, um, and there was a, a complaint from a patron about it. Uh, and they told her to uh, uh, wear a different dress. And so she did, and she emphasized that there were no hard feelings and all that. But it, it, it's it's interesting because this is not the first sort of Brexit protest we've seen from opera singers uh, in uh, recent months. Um, and the main sort of issue is, be- is uh, 
the reason it's so personal to opera singers in particular is because, I mean, well, well, think about it. You know, in the UK, you have only so many opera companies, only so many opportunities. If you want to be uh, an opera singer uh, in that area of the world, you have to be able to, you know, fly over to Germany easily. Um, and currently, there is not a deal in place that would allow the free travel between EU countries and Britain that uh, they used to have under that current deal, uh, under the previous deal, rather. And um, especially now, when uh, the Theresa May and uh, the, the Parliament has been unable to uh, pass some kind of deal that would allow those sort of limited sorts of access and travel, there is a very real possibility that the time might come to go to Brexit and there is no deal, and it could become even worse than, say, if you had to go from America to uh, the EU. It could be more difficult, more hoops to jump through, more taxes to consider. I mean, you're, I mean, this would make uh, uh, um, our, our dear friend Zach, who uh, <laughs> make his How to Become a, a Breaking even kind of artist uh, just a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, and, and at this point in the, the sort of the Brexit process, that's a very real pro possibility. Uh, and so we've seen a lot of opera singers doing stuff like this. But I think it's very interesting that this concert was so quick to make her kind of change the dress. Um, and they made sort of the point that this, this concert is not political and never has been. And I was like, that's kind of missing the point of the arts. You well, know it's what I mean? Oh, it's completely missing the points of the arts. Look, all art is political. That's right. why we make art. So th this is the, the CEO for um, the company that produced this concept. I mean, that's absolute nonsense. We don't provide an arena for anything political. We never have and never will. Secondly... Anna Padalong looks fantastic in this dress. It's a good dress. By the way. We're it's... gonna put we're gonna put it on the on the um, opera box score wall of hashtag say yes to the dress. Next, exactly. next, are we also going to put it next to the uh, Chicago Opera Theater's associate director of belly rubs? Our, our, uh, our website is going to be a mess. I'm well, just photos. I don't know. I'm tired. <laughs> I, just, I was not. There was no ill intent there. Uh, but it, it really there was no in ill intent on the part of her. She was trying to make a. She no, says exactly. she said in the article, "quote I feel European as well as British. I always will. But it's going to be a very strange time because obviously my whole life has been part of the EU. I don't know any different." Yeah, yeah. and this is very much. This is not just an opera question, and I, I don't want to overstep our bounds too much. But you know, again, art is political, and this is an issue that affects opera, and it's something that we will probably discuss again before. Um, before before the end of whatever this Brexit thing is. This uh, piece about Utah Opera and the Utah Symphony that are combining for these series of concerts, do you know, my, my son has just been studying this period in uh, U.S. history, the Golden Spike and the Transcontinental Railroad. Oh, yeah. He would be Love thrilled it. to know about this. Four new mini operas completing the picture by composer Michael Ching, The Stone, the Tree, and the Bird, composer Jacob Lee, Burial by... Tony Salitro and No Ladies in the Ladies Book by composer Lisa Despain. Um, George, talking about your son, whose name I won't say on there because that'd be weird. But have you had him it's not watch? Still it's, it's, <laughs> no, I mean, like we shouldn't talk about our personal life. If you too much. say his name, he anyway, appears behind you in the mirror. Your boy genius son, have you had him watch Ken Burns' documentary, The West? I have not. No, uh, man. it's on the Netflix, and you should. Okay, once I can. Get him off of watching. Uh, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> hey, then we'll put that Classic in the queue show. to learn about the we'll West. Put that in it's, the queue, a, man. it's fantastic. I, I love it. it. There's like twelve dollars. Anyway, I love this collaboration between Utah Opera and Utah Symphony, celebrating both uh, history and heritage, um, and uh, a link, a giant link uh, that our country. Um, you know, there's some dark history involved in that too, though. But right, and I think that that'll be very much covered. Yeah, it's, um, it's the focus of the uh, the focus of these four operas, and I should say they're also mini operas. They're very short, um, ten minutes, each. ten minutes, yeah, which but, is kind of a brilliant length for an opera. I've always thought that that rather than do <laughs> opera scenes in like a program, you should just do very very short operas because it provides students, right. especially, with the ability to to play a character. From the beginning to the end of a piece, even though that piece is only ten minutes. Yeah. What I love the most about this um, is how many women are involved in this process. Right. 
This is very much, uh, uh, I, I think it's a good, you know, on our sort of Dodson scale, it's, it's very good, but it, it, uh, it's not just the, the women composing, it's, it, they're composing about the sort of the marginalized people who helped create the, the railroad, the immigrants, the women, um, and that is a specific focus of all four of these operas, uh, at least according to the press release. Um, and I think it's a, very, it's a very interesting part of history, I think it's a very operatic sort of part of history, and I think it's definitely the kind of project companies should be trying to do more often because it doesn't cost that much to do a, a 10 minute new opera. I mean, compared to other lengths of opera, I, I think this is a good model, a good way to sort of bring in local history, bring in local people, bring in uh, new singers, new artists to create something new and exciting. Weston, Ferruccio Buzzoni. Oh, love him. He's your favorite underrated composer. So why is he your favorite and what makes him underrated? Oh, I might do a hall, in, hall of Fame on him at, at some point. Uh, he's, that would be a rare induction, sir. <laughs> it Gosh, would be. Please, it's, it's so good. Uh, Busoni is. Oliver just threw up in his mouth. <laughs> please don't. Busoni was like known for. Uh, well, since his death, for most of the 20th century, he was known primarily for his transcriptions of like Bach pieces. For piano, he's a very pianistic composer, which can be uh, and okay, you're not you're not selling it here, man. Yeah. So but, keep going. but no, here's the thing: uh, he only did uh, three operas, I believe. He did uh, Turandot before Puccini's Turandot, which is always interesting. He did Arlecchino, which is a sort of a one act thing to, as a companion piece, and then his uh, Piece de Resistance, which he died before he uh, finished. Doctor Faust, my favorite Faust opera of the many Faust operas out there. Um, he is kind of the sole, uh, the sole member of sort of the Italian modernist movement before kind of the fascists came in and was like, modernism, get out of here. You know, so it's, it's very much an alternative to Wagner compositionally without being conservative or verismo or, you know. Cool. It's, so it's, we covered your Hall of Fame segment. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about him for hours. And the people he inspired, he taught Varese, he taught Kurt Weill, just like the list goes on. He's, he's, he's brilliant, incredibly underrated. Unlike Aaron Copeland, not on who's this very show, overrated. So. That was, <laughs> we're we're overcorrecting here. That, so. was, that was beautifully done, man. When you do the solo show, you know, in a month <laughs> or two. <laughs> I mean, I'm no I'm no huge fan of uh, Amelia Goes to the Ball. I'm, I'm no huge fan of Giancarlo Minotti. But the, Copeland's Tenderland, what a fabulous piece of music that I'm is. I'm so glad we you said that because there's that Laurie song is like the aria that all young American sopranos sing in auditions. I was trying to think of the name of that. I don't know it. Uh, Lori, you don't know it? No. Once I thought. Da, 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 yeah, da, no, da, no, Tobias, you do da, know da, it. Da, 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 da. I mean, I do know I it. Only, I only know Busoni operas, so I, I, I'm lost, yeah. too. <laughs> 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 All right, let's wrap this show up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight, everybody, out there in opera land, wherever you are, however you're listening. It's been a great show. Good call, bad call. We're going to kick it off with Oliver Camacho. I, I've got a triple good call. What do you call that in, in sports? A triple Triple something? header, triple yeah, crown. Three strikes. Triple you're going to hit for the cycle. Threesome. <laughs> okay. So on Sunday, a triple double. Um, Christine Gerke was on um, Morning Edition uh, interviewed by Scott Simon, and it's all stuff who, for those of who, those of us who have followed her career. None of it is new information, but to hear Christine Gerke talk on NPR about singing Brunhilde mm. and about her path from being, you know, a Handelian soprano and then going through a weird voice change and then going almost bankrupt with using a credit cards like pay her rent and trying to have a family and then becoming the, like the most sought after Wagnerian singer of her generation as an American. Uh, that's a great story, and I'm so glad that she was able to tell it to a large audience. And people know, this is work, people. This is like, she's going to work, and she's singing Brunhilde. You know, like, she's, it's, it's a job, you know? So kudos to her. I loved it. Thank you, NPR, for, for doing that. Uh, speaking of radio, WFMT, the uh, Chicago classical radio station, will broadcast the Lyric um, Rising Stars concert, which is happening this Sunday. So we talk about the Ryan Opera Center here quite a bit, or at least I do. And I talk about Mario Rojas quite a bit because I'm madly in love with him. <laughs> so um, look out for the Rising Stars concert, which is this Sunday. Uh, it'll be available uh, as a radio broadcast sometime soon. We'll give you a heads up on that. But uh, Mario Rojas will be singing, and there's a soprano named Emily Pogorelts, who I'm crazy about. 
My last good call is that this Thursday is the prima of Opera Atelier's Idomeneo in Toronto. And it's got a great cast. Colin Ainsworth as, as Idomeneo, um, Misha Bruce-Gosman as Elettra, Wallace Junta as Idamante, and Megan Lindsay as Ilya. But in the tiny role of Neptune is our friend of the show, Douglas Williams, bass baritone. Mm. And Opera Atelier's social media is so smart. They've been posting videos of him practicing his dance. He's like dancing the role basically. And he's like prancing around in his sweatpants and he looks so good and Opera Atelier knows their audience. Nice job, found the triple header there. Tobias, right? Um, well, <laughs> I just wanna really, I have a great call. And the great call is that our colleague who's not here currently, Matthew Cummings, is growing a beard for a production <laughs> that he's in. And I have known Matt and lived with Matt for many, many years. And I have to tell you, he is devilishly handsome with his beard that he is growing. <laughs> Weston Williams. I have one last uh, good call up coming up pretty soon. Uh, Wednesday, April 24th is Triviata with Lyric hosted by, who else? Opera Box Score. We're all going to be there. There's going to be drinks. There's going to be trivia. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can get your tickets at lyricopera.org. That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about Opera. The general manager of WNUR is John Williams. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Our theme song, Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra with opera statistics and on-this-day content from operabase.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. Please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Tobias Wright and Weston Williams, I'm George. George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about lemmings. We're back on Monday, April 8th at 9 p.m. Central. We go inside the huddle with composer Huang Rao, plus more news, more hot takes, more cowbell. This is WNUR-FM, Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment.